Let us pray. God, our Father, we are so grateful to be gathered here on this beautiful Sabbath day. And we pause to remember the miracles and the wonders that you have made available to all of us, not only in our personal lives, but in the formation of this country and in all the blessings that have come to America throughout our long history. We pray today, Father in heaven, that you would so inspire all of us that we may be truly devoted in our hearts and minds to love you, serve you, obey you, and to do the things that you have commanded us to do. We humbly thank you for the miracles and wonders that lie before us. Miracles of deliverance that you will bring to the remnant of your people for their faithful obedience to your commands. Guide us now in this lesson that Jesus Christ may be glorified that your kingdom may be first in our lives, that Satan may be terrified and that all wickedness would be suppressed in this land to the glory of Christ our Savior. Father, we humbly pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, and if you do not have a Bible or own a Bible, please make that a priority to find one. We would like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis and open your Bibles if you have one with you. Everybody open your Bibles. You'll, you'll have to do this for me. This is a request. That you open your Bible to Genesis 49 and have it open with both chapter 49 and 50 before you. So everybody has their Bible open to Genesis 49 and chapter 50. And I'm looking at my Bible and I see both chapters. I don't see all of chapter 50, but it's there, part of it. Now put your right hand on that Bible. Just right where it is. Thank you. You're putting your right hand on that Bible. And I would like to tell you that on the day that America was devoted and dedicated as a covenant nation, on April the 30th, 1789, the father of this country, George Washington, laid his right hand on those two chapters of the Bible, and specifically, verse number one of Genesis 49, and Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may pray, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And then over to chapters 50 where Jacob has passed away, and they are in mourning for him. Now, when George Washington took his oath of office, he laid it on those two pages of the Bible. Why did he do that? I do not know. He chose those two chapters and the idea that Jacob was addressing the 12 sons that became 12 tribes, that became a multitude of nations, that became thousands, millions, tens of millions of people that have built every church, printed the Bibles, carried the gospel 
across the earth. These are the children of Jacob. And this country was devoted and dedicated and consecrated as an Israelite nation on April the 30th, 1789. And when George Washington finished giving his, finished taking his oath of office, he then gave his inaugural address in Federal Hall, right near, very near, within close walking distance of the Twin Towers that were erased and destroyed back in 9-11. Immediately following the dedication and the swearing in of the oath of office and the delivering of the inaugural address, Washington led the members of the United States Congress newly formed newly formed under the United States Constitution. And he took them and they walked over to St. Paul's Cathedral, very near Federal Hall, at ground zero of the Twin Towers. In St. Paul's Cathedral, Washington the assembled Congress and all the people that were there to form the new government were on their knees in supplication that God's divine providence would be upon this land. America began with a miracle. The title of our lesson today is The Miracle of America, Part 1. So I want to thank this congregation today for taking a moment out of your life to know that our God is still a God of miracles. America was bathed, birthed, baptized in an array of miracles and we need to know some of those miracles because I believe that we're coming into a day and time when we ourselves will need to witness some miracles for God to intercede and save his people. And I, for one, believe in miracles. How many of you believe that you have witnessed a miracle in your life? How many of you actually can enumerate a day or a time when you witnessed a miracle? Well, many of you can. The truth is, we have all witnessed miracles, whether we know it or not. The very fact that we're assembled today might be classified as a miracle. After all, is this assembly a random gathering, or did divine providence ordain it to be here? Questions we need to think about. Now, I personally could give you some examples of what I believe to be miracles, but I would go so far as to say that I believe it's a miracle that we're here. And I believe it's a miracle that you know who you are in a land of multiplied millions who do not know who they are, where they are going, and where they have been. They're lost. If you know where you are, and who you are, and where you're going, you are a rare American today. So may God be praised. He is still the God of miracles. How many of you know the Bible from cover to cover is a book of miracles? You open your Bible to the very first verse. In the beginning, God created. Do you know that the creation of the universe is nothing less than one absolutely fantastic, unbelievable miracle? 
It's an incredible miracle to think that this whole universe was created by someone who loved you enough to send his only begotten son to die at Calvary for your sin. What a God who created the heavens and the earth, who hung the planets in their orbit. How easy would it be for God to take and swallow the wickedness of this whole earth up in a moment. You know, Jeremiah the prophet says, chapter 10, verse 10, For the Lord Jehovah is the true God. He is the living God. He is an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. That's the God I like to serve. A God who is in charge of the universe he created. Beloved, we are living in a day and time when we need to learn to praise God, thank him for the blessings, and look for ways in which we can honor him, love him, obey him, serve him, and anticipate miracles and wonders to be displayed. So I believe very much that our ability to witness miracles will be contingent upon our faithfulness, our obedience, our persistence in persevering as God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-washed, spirit-filled, sin-hating, devil-chasing Christians. And to the degree that we fail to love and honor God, we will be wanting for miracles to deliver us. But those who are close to God can anticipate miracles and wonders. Consider the Bible you hold in your lap. Consider the people called Israel. The night of the Passover. The Exodus. Miracles and wonders. The crossing of the Red Sea. Miracles and wonders. Where they crossed that Red Sea, it was very deep. It has been demonstrated. How did God roll the waters back? And almost three million people crossed dry shod. And swallowed up the army that chased after them. Miracles out in the Sinai desert when the manna came down from heaven. Miracles when the water gushed out of the rock and watered a whole nation of people. What about Joshua fighting the Amorites? And they had not yet defeated all the Amorites. The sun is going down. And Joshua looks up and he says, Sun... Stand thou still, and moon in the valley of Ajalon, hold back till we get these Amorites all killed. No day has ever been known like Joshua's not long day, where one man commanded the sun to stand still. Your Bible is loaded with miracles, and you ought to be a congregation who loves God sufficiently strong enough that you could anticipate miracles. Miracles and wonders. Look at the New Testament. It's loaded with miracles. How did God, uncreated God, become man to walk this earth in the person of Christ? God becoming man, the incarnate God that we know as Jesus. Jesus was not a prophet. He was more than a prophet. 
He was God, but he was also a man. Perfect man hung at Calvary on a cross. They didn't kill God, they killed a perfect man in his very na- uh, manhood nature. What about the conception of Jesus? When the young virgin girl named Mary conceived a child, unmarried, and a baby was placed in her body. Miracles and wonders. The Bible's filled with them. What about the morning that Jesus rose from the dead on his own power? The Bible is packed with miracles. And those who love God and believe in him know that he's still a God of miracles. Still a God of wonders and miracles. And the country we live in is a miracle country. This is not just an ordinary country. Every land settled by the sons of Jacob, every European nation, Scandinavian nation, the British Isles, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the United States of America, All the places where Jacob's children have traveled has turned into an abundant oasis. Have been blessed beyond all the rest of the world because their God is a God who blesses the people he chose for his own inheritance. Millions of Americans took time this past past, uh, July 4th to celebrate the birthday of this country and the great miracle that we call America. However, very few of them know the real history of America. When God reserved this great land mass of 3,717 792 square miles that lie tucked between two of the greatest oceans in the world. America is unlike any nation under heaven, protected by two great oceans, bordered in the north by a people of our own kind. This great country called America before the time of supersonic missiles, was impregnable, untouchable by the world. America has, as measured by the whole world, the most productive, arable, agricultural land on planet Earth. From the Appalachians going westward all the way to the Rocky Mountains, the plains, the rolling hills, the productive lands of the breadbasket of America is the wealthiest, richest place for agriculture on this earth. What a miracle God has given us. This country has been the subject of great poetry, prose, hymns, songs. So many Americans today are lost, insensitive to the miracles and wonders and the hand of divine providence that God has brought forth in America. No country in human history has ever been so blessed with such a high standard of living.
There is no country under heaven that has been better dressed, clothed, better fed, better and more significantly blessed since the end of World War II than the United States of America. This country, the poorest among them, the poorest Americans today will own a smartphone. They'll all have a TV. That's the poorest. America has been so blessed and we have become so spoiled that we have failed to know the providential hand that gave us this land. It is impossible for us to grasp the miracle and significance of America and all the other Israelite nations, all the countries of Europe, from England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Germany, Austria, France, and all the rest of Europe where the Israelites settled. God has blessed those regions of the earth. And when they crossed the oceans, when those God-fearing pioneers made their way across the Pacific or the Atlantic, as it were, they were blessed wherever they went. Why? Well, so much of the world lived in squalor and in poverty. The Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Germanic, Scandinavian people have been the inheritors of the greatest blessings of any people under heaven. And there's a reason for it. We fail to know how blessed America really was or how blessed the British Commonwealth of Nations was that preceded America and her greatness. Did you know that England, little England, not much larger than the state of Alabama, once controlled a giant part of the entire world. That almost all the waters and the oceans were under the command of the British Commonwealth Crown of England. How do we anticipate and try to figure out how the largest commonwealth of nations ever to dwell on this planet became so blessed. In 1900, when Queen Victoria was on the throne, the sun did not set on the British Empire. And the Anglo-Saxon people were the most numerous and populated the lands of Europe and the entire Western world. It was a white world in 1900. And God blessed that world because the people in that time and place were mostly Christian, Bible-believing, moral people. They lived their lives by Bible morality. The kind of wickedness we see today was abhorrent to previous generations. People would rise up out of their graves if they could see how we're doing in this wicked land today. 
They would not believe that we have now become a nation that will celebrate homosexual behavior. We not only condone it, we celebrate it. We have now an entire month devoted to Pride Month. It ought to be Shame Month. God bless the new leader of Italy who who canceled Pride Month and proclaimed it Family Month. May God bless that Deborah that's now in charge of Italy. So, beloved, today I'm encouraging all of us to think about how important it is that God-fearing, remnant-believing Israelites make absolutely certain that they're living their lives according to the Word of God, married to biblical morality, and withdrawing themselves from the wickedness of this land before the awesome catastrophic judgment of God is visited upon this land. As you think about the greatness of America and the magnificence of the idea that Britain once ruled the the world, and that when the declining days of the British Empire came to a close after World War II, during World War II, America's on the ascendancy, and America then took first place among the nations of the world. Now, I'm not proud of it, but America now has 700 military installations around the world. And that's a conservative figure. We don't even know how God blessed this land. The blessings God put upon this country have been so great that when they are ultimately withdrawn, Americans will suffer like no generation have ever suffered because they have been so spoiled and they will not be ready for what's coming. So accept this as fair warning today, people. If we want to be a congregation of miracles, if we want to see miracles unfold, then we had well better put our houses in order. Warning. Houses in order. My Bible reads in 1 Peter 4, 17, For judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of those who obey not? The voice of God. For if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly appear? Excuse me for punctuating that. Wherefore, let those that suffer commit their souls to well-doing as unto a faithful creator. What a comforting word from the Apostle Peter. I'd like for you to just momentarily open your Bible back to the beginning where George Washington took his oath. Go back to the book of Genesis. Back to the book of Genesis for just a moment. I thank you so much for doing that. When Jacob gathered his sons together and blessed them, he blessed all of the sons, but he didn't bless them equally. How many of you know that God is not an equal opportunity giver? How many of you know that God made choices? He chose one people above another one. 
Why did he do that? He didn't choose Israel because he found them brighter, smarter, better, superior than other people. You know why God chose Israel? Because the Bible tells us in Psalm 115, verse 3, that our God is in the heavens and He does whatsoever He pleases. That's good enough for me. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, For our God is in the heavens, He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased on earth, in heaven, on the seas, and in all deep places. It's good enough for me to know that God is sovereign and He is well able and has every right to make the choices He wants to make. When Jacob blessed his sons, he blessed all of them. But not equally. Some of his sons believed or rather, I should have said, behaved a little differently. But they still received his blessing. In Exodus, correction in Genesis chapter 49, let's take a look there. Now there's two of Jacob's twelve sons that took on significant prominence. Now I need to be cautious here because... Every one of the twelve sons of Jacob have an illustrious, unique, interesting, and very, very significant history. Nobody left out without significance. But two of those sons, one became the birthright son, and one became the scepter son. Judah's the scepter tribe, and Joseph was the birthright tribe. You will never understand the Bible, nor history. You can't even read the history of the Western world without knowing how the Bible lays this out. So take a look at what God, through Jacob, in his patriarchal blessing, said of Joseph, the birthright son. Now you have to visualize this as a long range, visionary promise of Jacob to his son Joseph. Beginning in verse 22 of Genesis 49. And when the hand of George Washington was laid on the Bible, I think two of his fingers covered the verses I will now read. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a, by a wall whose branches run over the wall or the sea. Joseph is going to be a spreading, productive, proliferating race a people. The archers have sorely grieved him, shot at him, hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the mighty hands of the God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. That stone is the stone that Jacob laid his head upon at Bethel in Genesis 28. It will be in the custody of Joseph. That stone will be in the custody of Joseph. Where is it today? Where is Jacob's pillar stone today? It was just removed from Edinburgh Castle and brought down to Westminster for the coronation of Charles III. I don't know if they've taken it back to Scotland, but they did promise to. And if they don't, the Scots will be looking for it. They're not going to let that stone get too far from them. And neither are the English. 
So it's still with Joseph. From thence is the shepherd, the son of Israel. Even by the God of thy father who will bless thee, by the Almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings. Wait a minute now. Look at your Bible. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. What, if you read those words, what do you think of? I heard some sounds this morning in the sanctuary that reminded me of those two words. They were called babies. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. That's what God calls children. Blessings. It's how you take dominion. That's how you occupy. And when a church body has no children, they're in the process of dying. The blessings of thy father. Now watch this. This is a promise to Joseph. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. Now pause there for a moment. The everlasting hills. Now the last time I checked, geographically speaking, there's only one chain of mountains that just go on and on and on and on. They begin in Alaska. They come across Canada. I'm speaking of the Rocky Mountains that we call Rocky Mountains in this country today. They go all through America and they go right on and there's mountains all the way to the tip of South America. Now all you need to do is go home this afternoon, look at your geography map and tell me where there's such a chain of everlasting hills. This is a clue. The everlasting hills, they shall be upon the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Now we have to know, beloved, that couched and tucked in these verses is the unfolding panorama of great history of the people that God is speaking of. And Joseph is that birthright son and the birthright lands of Joseph are not to be confused with what the Bible calls, help me, the promised land. The promised land was promised to Abraham. The promised land is altogether different than the birthright lands. Joseph is the inheritor of the birthright lands. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and everyone descended from them are the inheritors of the promised land which is reserved for God's kingdom and the place where Christ will rule and reign. It is the center, it is the navel of the earth and that's where God's capital will be. It will not be located as the Mormons believe up here in Independence, Missouri. I think the Mormons are going to be fooled when they find out that that great temple they're looking for is not there. It won't be there because God tells us exactly where it's going to be. And it's not in Independence, Missouri. It happens to be in a city where the American flag now flies. You know what city that is? There's a city on this earth where the American flag, stars and stripes are flying. It's a city that has USA in the middle of it. So what name in your Bible, the name of what city contains the letters USA? Help me. 
J-E-R-U-S-A-L-E-M. There it is. Now, while we're on the birthright son, do not forget the scepter which Jacob told his son Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, that's Jesus, until Shiloh comes and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Whoa, what a promise that is. That's Genesis 49, 10. Now I invite you to go to Deuteronomy 33. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to thank you for being so studious this morning. I want to thank all the children for being so studious and carefully listening. I want to thank the children in Miss Kylie and Nancy's and Leah's class. I want to thank Mr. Benson's class for not going to sleep and taking a nap. I want everyone, if you'd be so kind, to turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Now, you're familiar with these words because they've been read here not too long ago. But these words describe the birthright lands of Joseph. And of the singular greatest nation of that birthright family. Singularly, America. Collectively, it would be the British Commonwealth. But let's look at Deuteronomy 33, beginning at verse number 7. Remember the days of old. Can we do that? Hello? Sorry to interrupt your conversation there. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee. Thine elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations. Whoops. That word divided is a no-no word in a modern America. We're supposed to be inclusive and you know, we're supposed to be inclusive and, and, and we've got to bring everybody in now. But God says, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated, uh-oh, there's that naughty word, separated the sons of Adam. I think it's a beautiful word. I think there's a lot of separating that needs to go on in America today. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number. Whoops. Sounds like God's going to be partial. He set the boundaries according to the number of the children of Israel. There it is. God was looking after his people from the beginning. He reserved the richest, the best, the most productive areas of the earth for his people. And he goes on to say here in these beautiful verses, as the eagle stirs up her nest, can you see the mother eagle stirring her nest up? Fluttereth over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them up in her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him. And so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. This is Joseph. He made him to ride on the high places of the earth. What does that mean? the most productive areas of the world. That he might eat the increase of the fields, he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. We got a little brother here this morning who has watched all those oil rigs that are fracking oil and bringing oil out of the rocks up in North Dakota. 
eastern Montana. God said they will suck oil out of the flinty rock. That's the ingenuity of Israel. Who designed the principle of fracking? Bringing oil out of the deep, deep earth. Do you know that about 99.9% of all the inventions in the world come from the family of Jacob Israel? We might as well take off our rose-colored glasses and look at the world through the prism of the Bible and not what they call American education today. How pathetic and sick is American education today. If you'll be so kind to turn to Genesis 35, 11. We cannot understand the miracles that God has given to Israel apart from the Bible. In the book that we just referenced, Genesis 35, notice who the principal person here is in this chapter. Well, this happens to be a guy by the name of Jacob. You know, I'm amazed, church, that in the year 2023, people are still naming their children Jacob. wonder why that is. Why is Jacob one of the most popular names in the 21st century? Gracious, how many generations have been calling their children by Jacob and Joseph? Do you think there might be an indication that there might be they might be connected to the names of those people in Scripture. Jacob is the principal person in Genesis 35. And he has gone back to Bethel to be reaffirmed with his vision that God gave him earlier in his life. So I'm going to break in at verse 9, chapter 35. I do not know where you are, but I am at Genesis 35, 9. And thank you, boys and girls, up and down the way. God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name and he called his name Israel. Now this is when, Na uh, when Jacob got a name change. Jacob is the first person under heaven to receive the name Israel. So what does that name mean? The name Israel means people collectively or prince individually ruling by God's power. A people that God ordained to be leaders and rulers. Do you know, people? Do you know that all the kings and queens and the duchess and all the other attendees to the royal families of Europe are all related? They're all Israelites. And they're from mostly the scepter tribe. Now what is the scepter tribe doing in Joseph today? Joseph is the birthright tribe. They are the dominion people. Judah provides their kings and leaders. Not always, but mostly. So, let's look at Genesis 35 now in verse number 11. Now, 
Let's suppose that you are in a nominal church today. And we're going to read Genesis 35, verse 11. What would, they, what would the typical preacher have to say about Genesis 35, 11? Let's read it together. Can we say it out loud? And God said unto him, Jacob, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come of thee. My question to this congregation where is the nation singularly and the company of nations collectively that Jacob was promised? They have been fulfilled in the British Commonwealth of Nations and in the United States of America. You can take it to the bank. On second thought, don't. The banks are not trustworthy. Just believe it. The Bible says that believe it, that's all you need to do. You don't, you don't understand to believe, you believe that you might understand. Believe it and you'll understand it. Does that sound crazy? Not really. Faith is above human reason. I don't understand a lot of miracles. In fact, I don't understand most all miracles. But I believe them to be valid and true. Now we're going to make one more little stop in Genesis before we break up camp. Let's go to Genesis chapter 48. Oh, how much of this Bible is devoted to the prophetic words dealing with the miracle of America and the British Commonwealth. Genesis 48. Jacob is really sick now. Cataracts have come over his eyes. He is essentially blind now. His son Joseph has come to see him before Jacob expires and leaves this world. When Joseph comes to see his father, he brings two sons with him. Their names, Ephraim and Manasseh, two sons. And these two sons have come, and Jacob says to these sons, to to Joseph, their father, he says, among other things, he come to bless them. He's talking to them about the blessings he's already promised to Israel. But in verse number five, there is an adoption. God brings Ephraim and Manasseh in to the family of the 12 tribes because they are the double portion of Joseph. So Joseph will be the recipient of a double portion. Look around, all the flags flying. One of the 12 tribes has a double portion. His name is Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh are the two sons of Joseph. And they will fulfill the prophecies that God gives to Joseph. Now we're, we're going to notice without details here running out of time, Joseph anticipates when these two boys come up to Jacob that he will put his right hand over the head of the firstborn son. Who is the firstborn son? Help me. That's Manasseh. So Joseph wants the right hand of his father to be on the head of Joseph, the firstborn. Correction. Joseph wants his hand, the hand of his father, Jacob, to be upon the head of Manasseh, the eldest of the two sons. 
But Jacob does something unusual. Jacob crosses his hands. This is the beginning of the famous Jacob cross. It's found in a lot of the flags of Israel. The cross of Jacob. Jacob placed his hand, right hand, over the head of Ephraim, the second born. His left hand upon the head of the firstborn, Manasseh. And then he blessed them both with a blessing that is incredibly and undeniably and irrevocably profound. In Genesis 48, verse 16, Jacob says, The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named on them, Israelites, in the name of my father Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow, let them grow. Now watch this. Let them, these are both sons, grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Do you know that the preachers of America could preach till the cows come home and try to fit this into the modern little state of Israeli, John Hagee notwithstanding, and they would be the laughing stock of all who know their Bibles. A multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, he displeased him. He held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and, and put it on to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, not, not, no, 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 my father, for this is the firstborn. Joseph is desperate to get his father's hand Jacob's hand on the head of Manasseh. Verse 19, his father refused. You got to think Jacob's blind. He says, I know it, my son. I know that Manasseh is the firstborn. I know it. He also shall become a people. He also shall be great. Now stop there. He shall be great. The great singular nation of Jacob's family is America. It's the most exceptional nation individually in the world. Now, I'm going to give you a clue to that. Someone took all the states of America and broke them out as though they were individual countries. They separate that. Now, this was not recent. This was about... 25 years ago. They separated California, Texas, and all the states individually and compared them to the rest of the world. Do you know that the individual states of America were among some of the richest nations on earth singularly by themselves? See, we don't understand the incredible blessing God has given us. We just don't know it. We're insensitive. We're calloused. We're blind. Quite frankly, we're stupid. We live in the age of stupidity. No common sense. The age of stupid. <laughs> Didn't have a reference to anybody here. But notice the younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed, the seed, the seed of Ephraim. The British flag will become a multitude of what? A multitude of nations. Do you know it's hard for me to visualize that when Queen Victoria sat on the throne, 
the English-speaking world ruled India. They ruled all the way to the end of Africa. It's incredible. Makes the empire of Napoleon look like Boy Scout camp. So we've come to the end of the American Miracle Part 1. Let's be standing.